0: Well, in 1990, in a Chicago suburb, an eight-year-old boy, during the Christmas season, had a serious longing. It was just days before Christmas. He had been belittled by his cousins, his siblings. He'd not gotten the cheese pizza he wanted. He was called a little jerk by his uncle, and he was sentenced to sleep by himself in the attic. On the way up to the attic, he exclaimed to the judge and jury, his mom, his deep longing. I don't want to see you for the rest of my whole life. In fact, I don't want to see anyone else either. I hope I don't see any of you jerks ever again. And as he went up to the attic and laid in bed, he said a little prayer. I wish they would all just disappear. You might know the story of this boy, Kevin McAllister, and how he got his wish documented in a movie called Home Alone. Today, we're going to see another longing, not from an eight-year-old, but from an 80-year-old. And we're going to get a longer prayer than Kevin McAllister's this morning. Again, if you did not know, we are in the season of longing. The season of waiting. The hope for arrival. That is what Advent is. And it's Christmas Eve. So the anticipation for longing is high. The day before, maybe your longing is for that phone. You want it updated tomorrow. The meal with your family. Maybe your longings are more serious, reconciliation with a loved one, peace in this broken world, a relationship you've always longed for. As we see Kevin's longing, Daniel's longing on this last day of Advent, hopefully it'll make us think, what do we long for? If you're going to hear anything this morning, I hope you would hear this. I think this is what the passage is going to be arguing this morning. Our longings have a solution deeper than we care to admit, and a resolution greater than we can fathom. Our longings have a solution deeper than we care to admit, and a resolution greater than we can fathom. Well, let's look together, shall we? Daniel chapter 9 is printed in your worship guide. You can follow along or in your Bible, it's fine. We're going to look at the first 19 verses this morning. It's a long prayer, a longer passage. Please pay attention as we read together God's word. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asarius by descent, a who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has never been not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, The Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the injustices of our our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his plea for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate, The word of the Lord. Well, welcome. If you're just joining us, man, that's a lot there. We're in the book of Daniel, and we've been going through it uh, this fall and this winter, and we'll end in mid-January. And this is a book documenting exile, documenting a people that have been taken away from their homeland, Jerusalem, to 500 miles northeast to this kingdom, of Babylon. And it has been 70 years in exile. This once teenager, Daniel, has become an older man, probably in his 80s at this point in time. And we begin in, we've seen a historical marker right here in chapter 9. It's the first year of Darius's rule. This is the 6th century B.C., And this is documenting what happened is the Babylonian Empire that was so great, that thought no one could fall, has been taken over by the Persians. So a new empire has now taken control. And at this point, the people that are exiles, these Israelites in now the Persian Empire, are wondering, we've moved from one empire to another empire. Are we ever going to go home? You have to think, 70 years in, these people must be wondering, what really is our true home? 70 years. They've had kids probably in exile. They've built homes in Babylon. They've had jobs in Babylon. Many of these people don't even know what Jerusalem looks like. And heck, Daniel, he's been promoted to the prime minister of all this great land. Exile doesn't sound too bad. Seventy years in these other kingdoms, away from home. This, This should be like the new normal. This is our home now. This is the place that we are. Babylon, Persia, away from Jerusalem. You would think 70 years, who cares? We're never going back. This is our home. But as we see in this passage, Daniel 9, that is not the case for Daniel. Instead, he's been reading the prophet Jeremiah. In reading Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, yeah, you will go in exile, but after 70 years in exile, you'll return back to Jerusalem. And here, the 70 years has come. And Daniel longs for this to happen. Even in his great position, even in his opulence, even in all these years, he says he wants to return. And he doesn't do that just casually. No, he fasts. He stops eating for maybe seasons of a time, he puts on sackcloth. Imagine put on, putting on the itchiest wool Christmas sweater you could imagine just because you want the itchiness to realize the pain of it. He does that. And then he put ashes upon himself, symbols of ruin. Even after these 70 years, he still longs. He longs what, for what should be a change. As we've been going through the book of Daniel, hopefully we're starting to realize this applies to us, that this is a book about what it looks like to live in exile. It's not just exile for the Israelites. The New Testament talks about how we are exiles ourselves. We're not Israel, we're the church, the new covenant community. And that language of being in exile is true for us. In the New Testament, figuratively, it talks about us being in Babylon, that we are citizens of a different kingdom, that we have not fully arrived, that we still long for the kingdom to fully come. I do wonder if we act like we're really exiles and this is not our home. In fact, some of us just say, well, this is the new normal. This is just the way it is. This is just how it's going to be. I'm not really longing for anything. I'm just living in it. I was reading N.T. Wright. He's a scholar and theologian. And he says this about Christmas, speaking to this tendency around this time for many of us to just live in it rather than long. N.T. Wright says this Take Christmas, for instance, a season of nostalgia, of carols and candles and firelight and happy children. But that misses the point completely. Christmas is not a reminder that the world is really quite a nice old place, it reminds us that the world is a shockingly bad old place where wickedness flourishes unchecked. Christmas is God lighting a candle, and you don't light a candle in a room that's already full of sunlight. You light a candle in a room that's so murky that the candle, when lit, reveals just how bad things really are. The light shines in the darkness, says John, and the darkness has not overcome it. What have we been singing for the past weeks? Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel! Oh come, long expected Jesus! Take the Magnificat, for example, that we heard Adrian sing, and then we heard it recited in the Advent candle. The Magnificat, we always think, oh, it's just beautiful, right? It's so gorgeous. It it just gives me magic in my heart, right? What does Mary say? Mary says, God, you brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary is rejoicing in the longing that God raises up the weak and the humble and the poor. And he brings those that are prideful down. You might not know this, but the Magnificat was so revolutionary, the language is so revolutionary that they banned it in some Latin American countries in the 20th century because it gave the poor so much hope. Their longing to be different, a longing for the world to be remade, a longing to not be in where they are. That's what we rejoice in. That's what we talk about at Advent. A longing for the world to be different. And if you follow the heroes of faith, like David, and read the Psalms, you hear a man close to God that longs and longs for the world to be different. Daniel, who longs and longs for the world to be different. Jesus himself, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, that I could gather you in my arms. No number of Christmas songs, tinsel, lights, hallmark movies can cover the brokenness of this world. Many times we just stuff it down Not realizing what's happened in our world in just 2023. Stories we don't even know of. That 13,000 people have lost their lives in a war in Burma. That 12,000 people have lost their lives in a civil war in Sudan. 13,000 in a civil war in Congo. 6,000 people have lost their lives in Mexico because of the drug cartels. Not to take into account what's happened in Gaza and Israel, 20,000 lives lost. Or Ukraine and Russia, where people put the numbers at 100,000 people. But here we are in the West, with our wealth and our peace, and we just hide it away. Stuff it away. Oh, we are fine. We are good. There's no longing here. But the stats here in the states are not good. Since 2010, the number of people in the United States that say they have no close personal friends has raised by four times. The number of high school students that say they experience persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness has gone from 25% to 45%. That 16% of our full adult population in the United States has a substance abuse problem. 33 million Americans suffer with alcoholism. The number of people that say they live in the lowest, happiest category, as they've measured it over the past 50 years, has risen by 50% over the past 10 years. How many of us might say, oh, Christmas will be different this time. I'll finally be in the romantic relationship I want. It'll finally be magical. It'll finally be perfect. But it's not working. Something is wrong. And Daniel, even though he's in the most elevated position, even though he's been 70 years in this Babylonian, now Persian empire, acknowledges and longs for a world that will be different. To be back in Jerusalem. know, one thing I love about this book, Daniel, is the change it makes from the first six six chapters to the last six chapters of the book. The first half is, of course, the ones that we all know of in the stories, you know, like Daniel in the lion's den and stories of, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the dreams interpreted, all these kind of things. It's really the, the public life of Daniel, you know, his role in the kingdom. But the last six chapters of Daniel are Daniel's inner life, his visions, his emotions, his conversations with God. And here we have it right here in chapter 9, this prayer and conversation with God. And know, oh, Daniel's gotten a lot of uh, press lately. It's kind of the person to go to when it talk about cultural engagement and what we're supposed to do as Christians, what we're supposed to emulate, You know, to be against the culture or whatever it might be. But many times we just emphasize the first six chapters rather than seeing how Daniel got to the place he is at. How was he able to do these public things? And we see in the last six chapters of Daniel, he's able to do this because he walks and talks and lives with God consistently. we have already heard about him praying three times a day, and here we have one of his prayers. What does it look like for this to develop in someone? What does it look like for it to develop in us? So we talk about engaging the world, engaging the brokenness. How do we have the courage to speak to this world? How do we have the courage to love our neighbor? How do we have the courage to do these things? And here we see what it takes to do that. Daniel walking with God in prayer. First we see that Scripture informs him in how he prays. In this prayer, he quotes from Jeremiah, in Genesis, in Deuteronomy, in Exodus. It informs how he prays. He has the Bible next to him, or whatever it might be. The, the, the Scriptures are just in his mind, in his heart, to be able to speak and talk to the Lord. And next, Daniel confesses. I, heard, I know when we hear that word confession, we just think admitting wrong. When confession just means acknowledgement. And what he acknowledges is the character of God. We see that throughout this prayer. God, you are faithful. Your steadfast love. Your deliverance in the past. That you sent the prophets to tell us the truth. That you have justice for wrongdoing. He tells the character of God and acknowledges it. And then as he acknowledges God's character, then he acknowledges the character of humanity. Rebellion, not listening, failure to obey. And after this, then, he gives his humble plea, his longing to be filled, to return back to Jerusalem. You might see that pattern. It's a pattern, I think, that is this gospel pattern. The pattern that we have even in our service, that we acknowledge who God is, a call to worship. We acknowledge who we are, our standing. Then we acknowledge his great love, giving him our longings, like we just did in the congregational prayer. This happens constantly. It's our conversations with God. You also see the nature of prayer here is just fascinating. He doesn't say anything about political intrigue, about what's going on in Babylon or Persia. He doesn't talk about the past of the fiery furnace or the statues of the lions or any of these things. No, he gets to the heart of the matter. Why are they here? Why are they in Babylon? We are here because we have rebelled against the creator of the universe. He loved us. He gave us how we were supposed to live and we rejected it. He told us what to do, but we did not listen. We have sinned, meaning we have missed the mark. But he in his character is still merciful. If anyone has a time to blame others or blame the circumstances around him or blame other kings or other kingdoms, it's Daniel, a teenager dragged from his home. While others have been unfaithful, here is a guy that we read over and over again is righteous and faithful over and over again. He could say, you are the problem, they are the problem, but instead we see in the prayer Daniel says, we, we, we. Instead of blaming or whatever it might be, his prayer aligns to the grand story of God's faithfulness in Israel's rebellion against God. So that raises a question for us. Our longings. Our longings for things. Do our prayers for the longings to be fulfilled in our lives, do they go to the heart of the issue? What are our prayers? I hope this person gets fired from my job so I don't have to deal with them anymore. If I only had this in my life, God, then things would be Okay? Lord, change this circumstance and it will be good. It's kind of the Kevin prayers, isn't it? I wish my family would just disappear. I know many of us love Home Alone, right? And we like Home Alone for the booby trap things, right? That's the fun part, right? The booby traps and all that. That's what we watch it for, everything like that. But they suddenly, in that movie, put a message in. I don't know if you know that. And I think the climax or the change before Kevin can actually face his fears and do all those things in the house, the turning point in the movie happens in the church. Remember that part? Right? It's Christmas Eve, and he hears some music coming from the church. I think it's O Holy Night, right, the classic. And he comes in and he sits down in the pew. And then we realize the neighbor who he's scared of, right? The old man, he comes up to Kevin. And, you know, it's like scary, uh uh-oh, trouble. But then they have a conversation. And you reveal these two individuals the neighbor who is scary and Kevin who is alone, together with each other, they reveal their longings. And they're deep. The neighbor reveals to Kevin that he can only come and see his granddaughter sing when his kids are not there because he's not welcome to be in a relationship with his son. Kevin Is also longing for his family to come home. And they say something interesting. The church is this picture of transcendence, right? Something above themselves. They say, the older man says, if there's any place to admit that I'm feeling bad or I've done something wrong, it's here. And you hear them both say to each other, a confession An acknowledgement. Kevin admits, you know, really, I've been a jerk to my family. The man admits, the reason the relationship is broken with my son is because I said things that I should not have said. You see, their longings have solutions deeper. than they want to admit. But then, when they are in the presence of God and in transcendence, they are able to align their prayers to the truth. That they have fallen short That their very desires are not right. Their very longings need to be renewed. That they need to find that there is a righteousness that they have to align to to admit they have to be in line with the true maker of them God Himself. Maybe you have been crying out for something for so long a relationship. Maybe it's to have a better job. Maybe it's to have this or to that. Maybe your crying out has happened long enough that you can go to the depth of the problem. What is really wrong is your rebellion against the Creator of the universe that truly can fulfill the deepest longings of your heart better than you ever could. That your running and your running and your running will not solve the problems. That your longing and longing after things will not fulfill. That the true longing is to be in relationship with the one who made you and created you, the father of the universe, who you have sinned against. That wants to be back in a relationship with you. You know, Christmas can be painful. The reason it can be painful is because it brings up the things that you wish it could be. Relationships, specifically, I think about unreconciled relationships in our lives. A longing for someone to be next to you at the Christmas table. Or even if they're there, to have this peace. And it's complicated, right? They're just complicated. They're frustrating. They're complex. There's no simple answers at times. And I've been around many of you, and we've talked together as the church about these relationships that have been difficult and hard. And I have been blown away by people in this church and how they are treating these relationships and what you say when you're at the end of your rope. I heard someone say, I finally said to my loved one, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. And I am sorry. Lord have mercy. Do you know how hard it is to say that to someone? you know how hard it is? All your pride, all your longing for what they should say, what they should do, And here is Daniel saying it. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against God. I am sorry. Lord, have mercy. That is a solution deeper than we care to admit. But then God gives us a resolution greater than we can fathom. How can Daniel lump himself in with all of these people? Right? A little bit later than this, the angel Gabriel, the great angel Gabriel, comes to Daniel in a flash, and he says, Daniel, you are the loved one. Right? Right? loved one, and he even says, I identify with my people. He puts himself with them. He intercedes for them, intercedes for the Israelites in their rescue. What we see Daniel doing in this prayer is what we celebrate today, that one has come to intercede for us fully Fully righteous. He pleads with the Father and he still intercedes for us. Now, at the right hand of God the Father, Jesus Christ. Some of you still, that's not enough. How can I go to God with my longings? I have no right. I have been atrocious. Some of us don't want to go to God because we see him as the cosmic boogeyman out to get you, vindictive. It's Old Testament God. Yeah, it gets better with Jesus, but still, I know God the Father. He's against me. I want, to, I want you to hear something today. Maybe you have this understanding of the Old Testament and who God the Father is. I want to draw your attention, and I hope that this verse will seep in into the depths of your heart and your soul and your bones. Look with me in verse 18, the second part. "For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but be because of your great mercy. This is the good news. The solution is greater than we care to admit. We want it on our own terms, but God says, stop. Stop trying to fulfill it. I have solved it. I am merciful and loving And steadfast, there is nothing you can do. It is not your righteousness. I have done it for you. The longing of this world has been fulfilled in me, taking the sins of the world upon myself. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's that simple. But it is so hard. For us to turn and trust in Him, our longings have a solution deeper than we care to admit, and a resolution greater than we can fathom. That is what we celebrate. Christ has come among us. He has longed for reconciliation with us. He has cried out for us. He has gone so far to lay down his life for us. For some of you, that is the hardest thing to take a step towards. To admit the longings of your heart is this simple, to trust in God himself and what he has done for you, that he is merciful and good and loving. It is greater than we can ever fathom, but it is beautiful that he has become sin for us so that we can have the longings of our hearts fulfilled in him.